Welcome, this is Josh Rees with Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. For more information about our church, please visit our website, milehighchurch.org. Grateful, as I said, to be starting a two-week series on peace. The title of the series is uh, Spiritual Peacemaking, make, Bringing Peace to Ourselves and the World. And today we're going to talk about bringing peace to ourselves. And the title of my message is My Peace is Your Peace. And we're going to really lean into how do we attain a greater sense of inner peace. Next week, our service falls on Sunday, September 11th. 9-11. And so we are going to talk about making peace in the world. How do we deal with the things that are going on in the world and create a greater sense of peace? And I'm very grateful that our production director, Rama, has, has brought out a candle and our peace sign here. We've had this up in different parts of our sanctuary because we're dedicated to being peacemakers. And next week, we're all going to, anyone who's present or watching online, going to contribute to building a candle of peace for our sanctuary, one that will live here in this room that anyone who's a part of will contribute their energy towards. So I hope you'll be here. Hi, Robert. <laughs> he moved away and he's back. My friend Robert, I'm glad he's here. Uh, we will build a, a candle together for peace. And so uh, it's going to be wonderful. So I'm so grateful to have a chance to talk about peace. It's a very important topic. My peace is your peace, inner peace. How do we attain inner peace? I remembered as I was contemplating this that Dr. Wayne Dyer, the late great Dr. Dyer, had published something called uh, the, the 10 Principles of Inner Peace, how to know if you have attained inner peace. And so I got those out and I'm bringing them to us today to consider firstly. You'll know you have inner peace when you have a tendency to think and act spontaneously rather than on fears based on past experience. You'll know you have inner peace if there's an unmistakable ability to enjoy each moment. If there's a loss of interest in judging other people. If there's a loss of interest in interpreting the actions of others. If there's a loss of interest in conflict. I like this one. A loss of an ability to worry. A frequent overwhelming episodes of appreciation. Frequent attacks of smiling. An increased susceptibility to the love extended by others as well as the uncontrollable urge to extend it. Isn't it a good thing we have two weeks to talk about this one, right? So to attain inner peace, my peace is your peace. The reason that I created that topic is that I think we underestimate the contribution that each one of us simply is towards our efforts and vision for peace to burst out on this planet. We underestimate our part in it. We underestimate that each one of us makes a difference. Just like that story that Reverend Carol read that anonymous story about we could be just one awakening moment away from peace bursting out on the planet and it could be your heart 
or the person sitting next to you or my heart. All of us contribute to the experience of greater peace and well-being on the planet. And what happens to us often is that we get caught up in that our world could only be peaceful if that happens or that doesn't happen or that stops happening or this is going on. And we, we, we lose our sense of peace because we base our sense of peace solely on what we see going on in our life or in the world around us. And what we know in this teaching, what we teach in this teaching, and what Dr. Dyer was speaking of, is that true inner peace is something that is always within us that gets, gets obfuscated by our own life story and our interpretations by our uh, addiction to worry and conflict and, and, and thinking that out there matters more than what's in here. And so one of the greatest risks, I want to start with the risk of attaining peace is that we then have to consider giving up two very important things that some of us cherish dearly. They are our fear and our righteousness. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we're not always quick to give those up because we feel like our fear can keep us safe and our righteousness, if we're right, can also keep us safe. But they also keep us from peace. They also keep us from experiencing peace. And what we get to understand about that is that that sense of fear and righteousness can come from experiences of our past that are still haunting our present. They can come from perceptions about the present that uh, impact our future. And I know that I learned this very profoundly at a young age. Uh, when I was 10 years old, my parents, for the first time in my life, separated. And uh, my family had some turmoil going on. My father was a rager. He was violent. And, and so when my parents separated, I remember feeling this kind of sense of relief. And then they got back together. And then when I was about 13, they finally decided that they were going to divorce. And when my mother told me that my parents were getting divorced, I know that divorce can be devastating for some families, but for me, I was like, oh, thank God. Whew. I was totally relieved because I loved them both and I knew that they would be happier apart, that they didn't belong together, that they'd worked hard to try to make it work and they just couldn't. But I also admit two other things. Remember now, I'm 13. So I've got these, the, this, this whole new life that's building inside of me hormonally and I've got that kind of 13-year-old chip on my shoulder kind of thing going. Talk about righteousness, right? I got it. I had it. Number one. Number two, I had this romanticized projection that when my parents finally divorced, I would have all these wonderful times with my mommy and all these amazing times with my daddy, and it would just be perfect. But what happened was not so perfect. They both had gotten married when they were in their late teens, and upon divorcing, they both sort of relived those 20s that they never got to live because they had three kids. And my father, especially, in my humble opinion, the way it impacted him is that instead of being as interested in his children as his 13-year-old daughter thought he should be, he was more interested in fast cars and fast women. 
Therefore, he began to not show up when he was supposed to be there to pick us up. He began to cancel on times when we were supposed to have with him. He began to be flaky and not show, show himself. Or if he did, we would go out to be with him at his apartment and he would just uh, either have a girl there that he wanted us to get to know, which did, was not my ideal of perfect, or he would watch football or TV incessantly and not pay much attention to us. Well, this 13-year-old girl was getting angrier and angrier and angrier about this treatment until I finally started uh, refusing to go with him sometimes when he came, which caused my sister great pain and suffering because she would say, but you want to see daddy. Why are you not spending time with him? Yeah. I don't want to. I also noticed, however, and you may be, as I can easily be, uh, landing on my side. Well, Michelle was the right one in this case. Her father treated her badly, blah, blah, blah. Maybe so. But here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. Because this was causing such great pisosity in me that I probably had one of the worst years in school I ever had. I uh, am I am normally a pretty social being, pretty outgoing, pretty easygoing. I became very imploded in on myself. I was angry. I wasn't friendly. I was distant. I felt my grades start to slip. I pushed away a few friends that I had not meant to push away, and I realized that I was not being myself. And what I also came to realize in that year was that I was blaming my father for it. I was letting my father's behavior so impact me that I was changing who I was because I was so angry. Now, I didn't have this teaching at that time. I wasn't coming to church here. It took a few years for my mother and I to find this place. But I knew that I had to change. I knew that part of the problems that were emanating out in my life, I was mean to my brother and sister at times. I don't know, maybe I was kind of mean to my mom. She'd have to come up here and tell you that. I don't know. Just be quiet, actually. <laughs> I just was not me at all. And I had to own it. I had to own it and say, okay, yes, my father's treating me badly, but that doesn't mean that I necessarily need to go out and treat everyone else badly. This is not who I am. This is not how I want to live. And so I worked very hard from that moment on to try to be less angry with him. And then it was a few years later that we came into this church and I began to uh, see shifts start to happen as I recognized that I could forgive, that I could claim my own life, that I could let go, that I could have my centeredness and I could still have my boundaries and say, it's not okay, Dad, that you cancel on us, but I didn't have to walk around being anger in motion all the time. And what I'm concerned about in our culture right now is we have a lot of us walking around being anger in motion all the time. Because we think that what's going on out there somewhere could take away our peace. Just like I thought the same thing about my father. I was so angry with him that I was letting it impact every relationship I had with any boy or man that I came across. I disdained the male gender for a while. 
and yet I wanted to have boyfriends. How is that going to work, right? <laughs> it's just not. That caused me to be very motivated, quite frankly. <laughs> if you want to have a relationship with a guy, you can't be angry at them all the time, Michelle. So I had to learn to let go. And we have to learn to live a life, I think, where we're willing to surrender our fear and righteousness for the sake of our own peace. I had to surrender my judgment about how he was behaving so that I could regain my peace and my centeredness and live the life that I wanted to live. And it took time and energy and support from around me to begin to do this. But this is a vital part of reclaiming our peace. It's not selfish to do this work. It's vital that we do this work. It's important that we understand this so that we can surrender our pain and suffering from the past or from the present to be more present in the present. And indeed, that's my first point, that our presence as peace is important. St. Francis de Sales said, never be in a hurry. Do everything quietly and in a calm spirit. Do not lose your inner peace for anything whatsoever, even if your whole world seems upset. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. Zzz, backwards, please. Presence as peace. Lao Tzu says, if you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. If you are at peace, you are living in the present. I think that a huge part of surrendering our fear and our righteousness is learning to live in the present. It's learning to understand that our power is not in ruminating over what people have done to us. Our power is not worrying about the future. We sometimes think as we look at what's going on, if I just worry about it enough and I'm prepared for it enough, then when it happens, whatever it might be, I'll be ready. But the truth is, the, most present we, the more present we can be, the more ready we are for anything that occurs. The more we can learn to be in the now moment, we can understand that it, as teachers have told us throughout the ages, the now moment is where our deepest creativity lies, where our connection to our source is. Our founder, Ernest Holmes, talks over and over and over again about the greatest peace, power, and poise is being able to be so present in my life as it is with whatever is going on right here and right Right now that I know that I can be a peacemaker in any conversation, in anything that shows up, in any conflict, in any challenge, in anything I see in the world. That rather than saying my peace is determined by what's going on out there, my peace is who I am, it's at the core of my being, and I meet every condition and situation from that place of presence. I'm presence to the people in my life. I'm present to the conditions in my life. This is in no way being in denial. Sometimes I feel like when I talk or we talk in this teaching about this principle of being present, people think that that means we're doing a spiritual bypass. A spiritual bypass is when things aren't going well and we're looking at them and we're looking right at them and we're saying, it 
it's okay, it's all gonna be fine. But the truth is that what we learn to do is, ooh, that's not okay, but who I am can meet it right where it is. What's inside me is greater than what I'm seeing. And what's challenging us now, and, and we, we may want to try to brag and say, we've got it worse than any other generation. And I hear the voices of previous generations arguing with us about that, but that's neither here nor there. The truth is get present in the now and understand there's nothing out there greater than you or I. There's no one out there that can disturb our peace unless we let them. We can be present and being present means we do our healing work. We literally surrender and release resentment and forgive and let go so that we bring ourselves fully into the present moment so that there's not parts of us, parts of our psyche, our energy, our awareness lingering back in the past when our dad or our mom did X, Y, or Z to us or that previous spouse left us or whatever it is. As long as there's something back there that we haven't allowed ourselves to let go of. We can't be present in the present moment and we can't always feel our peace because there's some part of us still back there going <laughs> but when we do that work and I find and did find that this church, this teaching, my class work, my group work, my practitioner work, the, the people that I went to, the workshops I did, the therapy I did, all of it helped me to bring myself more fully in the presence that's my power. That's your power. That's our superpower. It's understanding and meeting anything in the world with presence, the presence of who we are. Then we go to my next point, which I jumped ahead to, which is peace as a habit. Peace as a habit. It's then understanding that I attain peace and I cultivate peace habitually. And that's where St. Francis talks to us about don't be in a hurry. You know, allow yourself to do everything quietly and in a calm spirit. Don't lose your inner peace for anything whatsoever, even if your whole world seems upset. It's an opportunity. I know it can be very um, irritating when there's conflict going on and one person is going, tell me more about that. Just want to pop them, right? Yeah, here, I'll give you some peace. <laughs> but there is there is a way to really learn how to be present and compassionate I love Brené Brown's definition of compassion is walking along with someone when they're in pain and suffering and the thing that can be the most challenging to our peace are the people we're closest to right Sometimes we can be very nice to everyone except the people we're closest to, our kids or our spouse. And I, there's been plenty of examples of people who say, well, I go to church and I'm, hello, how are you? And then I go to brunch afterwards and I scream at the ser server who's serving my brunch to me. That's not being a peaceful person. That peace begins to be a consistent habit that rises up out of our spiritual practice, that rises up out of our healing journey, that rises up out of our learning to be in conflict from that peaceful stance, even if our energy rises. There's a way to be frustrated and still be at peace. 
by not calling each other names, by not being rude to each other, by not pulling up things from the past, but staying very present in a conversation and very honest and clear about what's happening for us, what our needs are, what we would like to talk more about, what we want to hear from each other. There are ways to be at peace even when we appear to be at conflict and it becomes a habitual way of being. And the third one is seek to be and generate peace. Because we begin to understand that everything we do, everything we speak, everything we are contributes to the peace on the planet. We sing this every week here at Mile High Church, don't we? Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. So it begins with this inner atmosphere that we learn to create and cultivate, that we consciously and conscientiously work on so that we can be a greater contribution of peace in every relationship and every activity. And then it also has to do with the way we behave and the way we speak and the way we listen to what we're called to do to generate peace. Desmond Tutu, whom I love and adore, and who he wrote a wonderful book on forgiveness, if you have forgiveness work to do. He says, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. Just like the snowflake overwhelms the branch and it suddenly breaks. Every one of our little bit of good that we do as we cultivate peace and act peacefully in our world, it contributes to what's going on in the bigger picture. Reverend Carol Wilkie, who is our operations director, she sends daily emails out to our staff. All of us on staff get a sense of what's going on on the campus every day, and she sends little inspirational videos and quotes and things. And a few weeks ago, she sent a video that I just loved. I've watched it about five times. You can find it on YouTube and lots of news about a woman in Germany. She lives in Berlin, Germany. Her name is Ermela Mensch-Schramm. She, uh, they call her the Germany hate destroyer. She says she was raised in Germany, of course, and when she went to school, the subject of Nazi Germany and Hitler were considered taboo subjects. They didn't teach them to the kids. And she knew something profound had gone on, so she had the courage to go uh, find a concentration camp and visit a camp and find out what really happened there and look at the pictures. And she said she was just shocked and that she wanted to do something so that, that we would all remember peace and begin to live a life of peace instead of remember that pain from the past. So the reason they call her the hate destroyer is she made it her life mission to remove any neo-Nazi stickers or tagging that she saw, graffiti, in her country. So six days a week now, Armella puts a little bag together with uh, razors and, and markers and paints, and she goes on walkabout all day long. And she goes to places where there might be stickers or swastikas, and she transforms them. One of my favorites is there was this big graphic that was all red with all these swastikas all over it. And Ermella painted red hearts over every swastika and just removed the swastikas. She said she started in the 80s and she started keeping good track of her work in 2007. And since 2007, she's gathered 77,500 stickers. 
that she's got in a little notebook. Her work is amazing. It's a little thing she does, but it makes such a big difference to their country and to the things that are seen on the walls in Germany. And she says that every day when she comes home from doing that work, she feels good because she knows that she's contributed to creating more peace on the planet. That's how I think we can all feel when we dedicate ourselves to understanding that my peace is the peace of everyone else's. That I, as a peacemaker, my first job is to create peace in my own heart, about my own self, about my life, about the things that have occurred in my world, and to do that very consciously and with great love for myself. And to take little steps then that I might be guided to take, like Ermela's been guided to take, to transform this world. That generates and creates and contributes to inner peace. She feels inner peace as she does this work. And I know that many in her country have a greater sense of peace because she is willing to do this. Our founder, Ernest Holmes, says, first of all, you must arrive at peace of mind. It's the only, it is the only, on the only basis of peace that you can persist with absolute certainty. Peace alone gives poise. There is an intuition within you which already knows that you are one with good, that your destiny is certain, and you must listen to this intuition, for it is the voice of God in you. We all have that voice of the divine calling us, beckoning us to a greater sense of peace, to being a contribution of it on this planet. This week, I challenge us, I invite us to answer the call and be that peace. Let us pray together. I invite our practitioner prayer partners to please join me now. As they stand with us, we stand in and as peace. For I remind myself, there is one power, one presence, one light on this planet that is the peace, is the love, is the light. Those beautiful qualities that Denise sang and we sang with her, They are the true qualities of this universe that shine brightly forth through and as all things, all conditions, all beings. And there is within us this pathway to peace that is calling to us. It is our true nature, the truest truth of us. That invitation that says it's time. It's time to solve this conflict. It's time to release this resentment. It's time to change this perspective. It's time to heal that fear. It's time to stop being so righteous for the sake of peace, light, and love, living itself in and as and through us now. I feel that call of the divine right here and right now and know that it is calling to each one of us and that each of us is guided on our own pathway of living this day into that greater peace, a peace that passeth understanding, a peace that is the true nature of who and what we are, a peace that guides us into contributing to life in every realm in greater ways. 
As I speak these words, I, I can see and sense each one of us feeling who we could be, how we could be contributing to life in greater ways as we were peace in our most close, intimate relationships, as we were peace with the people that we work with and volunteer with and contribute to on our life path, as we were peace as we looked at the people leading different countries, including our own, and could be at peace about them and for them and on behalf of them. We are the peacemakers. We accept that this is our truth now. And I'm so grateful that this truth is revealing it to, uh, itself to us as us now. It is in this truth, in this light, that we give thanks and simply release this prayer to the action of that law that does its work. We let it be, we let it go. And so it is. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. To make a donation, please visit milehighchurch.org.